0: Amen. Good morning. Great to be with you all today. Our scripture reading is going to come from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and it's going to be one of the readings from this week. Remember, we're reading through the essential 100 readings about Jesus. If you haven't been on that reading plan, you can still pick up pamphlets out at the information table about how to join in. Uh, it's not too late. It's a fantastic program. and It's going to be going on for just a little while longer. So the words of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we hear your word and Holy Spirit, we ask for the wisdom to understand it. Amen. So there was a preacher and he loved to play golf, but the only day he could get out to play golf was on Saturday and it had rained for six straight Saturdays. So he did the unthinkable. He called in sick. He asked a colleague to fill his pulpit the next Sunday so he could sneak off, drive to another town where no one would know him and play around a round of golf on Sunday morning. So he steps up to the first tee box and it's a 450 yard par four with a hard dog leg right. Peter and Moses are watching from heaven and Peter's indignant. He's like, how in the world can one of our servants skip Sunday morning to play golf? Moses says, don't worry, I've got it. Pastor tees off. Moses raises his staff. The ball sails. It carries over the trees. It veers to the right. It bounces on the green, bounces a second time, goes right in the cup. Peter says, what are you doing? That's the greatest shot he's ever hit in his life. Moses says, yeah. Who's he going to tell about it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's entirely possible to do good things. It's entirely possible to have good things happen. But to miss the point altogether. This week... Uh, our church begins one of its most profound and deepest seasons, the season of Lent. And in case you're not familiar, Lent is a 40-day period, excluding Sundays, that mirrors the 40 days that Jesus took in the wilderness to fast and to prepare for ministry. And historically, Lent has been a time for Christians, for disciples of Jesus Christ, too fast as well to give up certain things many people give up chocolate caffeine any other number of things but i think too often we've stopped there we lay aside things especially things that are unhealthy and that's that's not a bad thing it's a good thing to lay aside bad habits or to lay aside things that aren't as good for our bodies But the intention was never just to stop at laying things down. The intention was, as we lay these things down, we then use the time, the resources, and the energy to take up the things of God. And if this Lent, we just lay aside chocolate, we just set aside beef, we just set aside caffeine, and we don't take up the things of God in their place, then we really do risk missing the point. But if we find ourselves as disciples today missing the point of something that Jesus said or did, don't worry. Because the early disciples excelled at missing the point. Really, go back and read the Gospels again. These guys are always having to come to Jesus and saying, um, we don't get it. Can you give us a private explanation? And there are times when he even tells them, you know, you you really should get it by this point. You've been with me this long. You really should understand this thing, but he still goes on to explain it. So our passage from which we read is one of these encounters. So let's go back to the beginning and let's kind of see what's going on. Matthew 24, three. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples come to him privately, and they say, tell us when all this will happen. Jesus was talking about the end, when God is going to wrap all this up, and heaven and earth are going to join, and that's the end of what we know now. They ask him, what sign will signal your return in the end of the world? So Jesus goes on to give this apocalyptic diatribe. He says, look, you're going to see famines. You're going to see people turning against each other. You're going to see wars. There's going to be rumors of war. All this crazy stuff is going to happen. But then he gets to the passage we read from. And then he goes further in verses 45 and 46 and says this. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. So you remember when your parents went out of town for the weekend and for the first time they let you stay home? Here's what they did. At least here's what mine did. I'm sure yours did too. They left a list of things that you were to accomplish while they were gone. And if they came home a couple hours early on Sunday and find that you had not accomplished that list, woe unto you and unto your social life for the next month. Here's what Jesus is saying. The disciples are very concerned all of a sudden. Their energy, their focus is very wrapped up in when everything's going to end. They want a sign. They want to know when this is going to happen. And Jesus very basically tells them that's not for you to worry about. As a matter of fact, if you spend your time and energy worrying about that, you're not going to have the time and energy to do what you're supposed to do in the first place. Can I make a suggestion? Perhaps the Bible is far less about how to get to heaven after we die and far more about how to live into the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we cannot miss the point because the point is simply too important. We have work to do. Jesus calls us to follow him. And the season of Lent is an incredible opportunity to make that a reality in our lives. Lent is a chance to reorient our lives around our discipleship of Jesus Christ. Because it seems for the modern church, the temptation is to put church attendance, to put serving others, to put worshiping Christ... As another item on our to-do list. When really our discipleship of Christ is the pen and the paper with which our to-do list should be written. So, what did Jesus tell us to do? I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. I'm a give me the practical application person. So, Jesus told us to do a lot of things, but this morning we're gonna look at three. Three things that I think we can do during Lent this year so that we don't risk missing the point. First, Jesus told us to love. Mark 12, well-known passage. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus tells us love is the greatest thing that we can do as Christians. And he and he breaks that down into two directions, loving God and loving our neighbor. So first, loving God, what does that look like? You ever hear those slogans, they came out, ooh, late 90s, it's not a religion, it's a relationship? I'm usually not a fan of bumper sticker theology because it normally falls short for me. But there's a lot of truth to that one. It is about a relationship with our Father. That's what Jesus lived into, that's the example he gave us, and that's how he's calling us to walk in our lives as well. And like any relationship, in order to be real, in order to be tangible and meaningful, you've got to put time, you've got to put effort, and you've got to put energy into that relationship. And God has already made the first move. God has already done all this and God awaits us. God desires us to live into that relationship. So how's that work? Well, historically, there have been practices known as spiritual disciplines, things that people do specifically and intentionally to foster that relationship with God, to open their hearts and their lives, to experience God's love in profound and transformative ways. And here's what Doug and I are going to do. Throughout Lent, in each of our sermons, we're going to offer you a spiritual discipline to practice. We're going to highlight something that has historically helped people experience God. And we're going to give you some opportunities to practice that throughout the week. Now understand, some disciplines will speak to others way more profoundly. You know, I, I, I read these, these spiritual discipline plans, and they're always like, okay, now we want you to sit down for 30 minutes and journal all of your thoughts. I'm not going to do that. I hate that. I hate writing, I loathe it, I detest it, it hurts my hand, I don't wanna write. But that's okay, because for some people, journaling is a powerful and meaningful way to experience God, and I'm not gonna diminish that. It doesn't work for me. So if one of the disciplines doesn't speak to you, don't panic and don't let yourself feel a sense of guilt. If one discipline or another doesn't speak to you, if you're not in tears and hearing heavenly voices, It's okay because the point of a relationship is making the effort. So we're going to give you spiritual disciplines. One more word of caution about the disciplines. Resist the temptation to let the disciplines become an end in and of themselves, to become another box to check. Oh, if we can use Lent to let God move us away from checking our boxes. Well, there's Sunday morning, I listen to three songs, I'm good. Friend, that's not what this is about. It's about opening our heart and our life to the exponentially powerful, life-transforming love of God through Jesus Christ. When it moves from checking boxes to that, that's when things really happen. So don't let the practices become the end in and of themselves. Let them be a means to the end of a relationship with God. But secondly, Jesus said we have to love our neighbor. And if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to get a great breakdown of what that looks like. Now, let me warn you. You start reading that, and you're going to have to change some things just like I am. You know what Mark Twain said about the Bible? He said, It ain't the parts of the Bible I understand that, or it ain't the parts of the Bible I don't understand that give me problems. It's the parts of the Bible that I do. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us as his followers, We have to look not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. We have to show mercy and offer forgiveness even when it is not asked for, and especially when it's not deserved. Jesus tells us that we have to actively seek peace and justice in the world around us. That's what it means to love our neighbor. And just to highlight, just to put an emphasis on Jesus's feelings about loving neighbor, look with me at John's gospel. There's no greater love to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. This is my command. Love each other. So, first, Jesus tells us it has to be expressed to be experienced. Love's got to be tangible. It's got to be a thing that you do. But here's what he also said. Or let me, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, All right, my command is to go out in the streets, tell everybody what they're doing wrong, show them everything that you know, and then you'll be doing it right. Loving our neighbor isn't about having the right information. And it's certainly not about telling people how wrong they are. It's about laying yourself down for their benefit. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to love our neighbor. So this Lent, let's look to love God and let's look to love our neighbor. Second thing he told us to do, and this is right in line with that, Jesus told us to serve. He told us to serve. John 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. All right, look. Washing feet is gross. I'm not going to wash your feet. You're not going to wash mine. And we're going to be okay with that. But fortunately, Jesus wasn't speaking literally there. What he was doing in washing feet was a common act of service in that day. It was something the servants did. And if the Lord of heaven, if the one who John says was there in the beginning and all things were created through him, humbled himself to that point, friends, we have no excuse for refusing to serve others. And let me also make another suggestion. Real spiritual maturity, real growth in Christ happens at this point when I look at my church and I stop asking the question what does my church do for me and I start asking the question what can I do for the kingdom of God through my church your spiritual growth will hit a hard ceiling if you are not serving others and one of the greatest and easiest ways to serve is through the church so here's what we're going to do Another another opportunity we're going to give you starting next week, we're going to have something available for you called a spiritual gifts inventory. It's going to be online and hard copy. If you're not familiar, here's what a spiritual gifts inventory is. We believe that God has created each and every person uniquely. God has crafted and molded you just the way God wants you. God has given you abilities and giftings and given you something to share that only you can bring to the table. And in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, we see laid out that these gifts are given for the betterment of the church, for the church to be more effective in its mission and its ministry. So we're gonna ask you to take that spiritual gifts inventory and we're gonna ask you what your top spiritual gifts are. What has God created you to do? And very likely, those things are gonna be what you're passionate about. That's going to help you see, this is what I care about doing. And then we're going to show you the opportunities in your church to live directly into those. And we're going to ask you to do that as you are able. You are never more like Jesus than when you are doing two things. When you are in prayer and when you are serving other people. You want to be like Jesus, do those two things, and the rest will generally take care of itself. Finally, Jesus told us to make disciples. If you didn't hear Doug's sermon last week, you missed a good one. One of the points he made um, was just fantastic. It stayed with me. In this well-known passage of scripture, there's two ways to read it. So let's, let's read this passage together. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It was not written in English. So in the English, we read this, go and make disciples as an imperative command. Go with the intention of making disciples. It's a separate action. But Doug brought this out last week that in the Greek, the way this tense works, a more faithful English translation would be just go about your daily life. Go and do what you do. And as you're going, make disciples. Too often, we think the command of going and make disciples means traveling to an underdeveloped country. And it does. But we miss the opportunities to make disciples at our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our own families. Do not miss the opportunity to witness for Jesus Christ to those under your own roof. Parents, your children don't just need to see it from Haley and Karen, they need to see it from you first. Pray with your children. Pray for your children. Talk about the things of God. Participate in the things of God with them. But let's also think about making disciples. Again, I've already alluded to this. Somewhere along the way, we've just kind of gotten this idea that making disciples means giving people all the right information. Doctrine's important, but Jesus didn't go to Matthew's tax collector's table and say, go and read a bunch of books about me. He didn't go to Peter and his brother and say, all right, you're fishing. And while you do, make sure you read Isaiah so you understand who I am. He said, come, follow me, walk with me, talk with me, spend time with me. You know how disciples are made? It's not information, it's relationship. The power of the church has never been in us telling people what to believe. The power in the church has been us being in relationship with other people so that together we encounter Jesus Christ. That was the power of the early church in the book of Acts. That was the power of the early Methodist movement. And can I dare say at Trinity's heyday, that was the power right here. It was the relationships. It's not... A coincidence that Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am. So as you look to be a disciple, which inherently entails making disciples, look for opportunities for relationship. This Lent, live invitationally. Invite people to our church, yes. But invite people into your home as well. Invite people into your life. That is the power of the gospel. That is where the Holy Spirit changes and transforms all of us together. Lent's an opportunity. And I don't want to see us miss it. It's an opportunity to lay things aside, but in their place, to use time, energy, and resources To deepening our walk with christ and we do that through love we do that through service and we do that through making disciples with our relationships would you bow with me in prayer jesus we are humbled at the invitation to follow you Holy Spirit, will you breathe into our hearts and our minds a fresh vision of what that looks like and a passion and a courage to get up and to follow you wherever you may lead. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityresting.org.